good to be in the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, David said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And it's been good here this morning, has it not? Amen. Amen. Just one amen? Amen. All right, praise the Lord. Today we are going to bring to a close the sermon series, Walking Out Your Faith, from the book of James. And um, it's been 10 weeks ago since I started it, and Will and Ryan and I have uh, plunged into this very practical book. Today we're going to finish it. And we'll be looking at the final uh, eight verses of James today. So if you'd like to turn there, in your pew Bible, and I made a mistake because I was supposed to figure out what page it was, so I didn't write it down. In my notes, I have question marks there. Somebody help me. 1199 in your pew Bible, if you're going to use that. You can turn to it, and my wife Donna is going to come up and read the passage of Scripture. I moved the mic too quickly. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. If anyone is, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make him make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Donna. God bless the reading of your word. Let's pray together for a moment. Lord, we thank you again for what you're doing and saying and speaking to our hearts today and ministering to us, Holy Spirit. We thank you for all that's already happened this morning. And as we look into your word, we pray that you would take it and give us listening ears. Apply, help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 In this passage, a, a form of the word pray happens or uh, appears seven times through verses 13 through 17. It's at the heart of James's final words to those to whom he's writing, including us. And it's at the heart of the message that I want to share this morning. He also poses three questions and gives instruction by way, means of his answers in this passage. If you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, praise. If you're sick, call the elders and have them pray for you. So the first appearance of the word pray is in that very first verse in the passage, verse 13. If, you are, if any one of you is in trouble, he should pray. Now I think here the NIV's translation of the word, the Greek word, as 
trouble is a little weak. Many of the other translations use suffering and hardship, and I think it gives more of the import of what James is trying to say here. Stronger words. Trouble encompasses that, but sometimes trouble can be something a little less than that. If you get caught speeding and you're pulled over, you say, oh boy, I'm in trouble. This is much more intense. We've heard James speaking throughout his letter to those that receive it about about persecution and the hardships they're facing. So he's saying, if you're in trouble, if you're suffering hardship, pray. On the surface, that seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? But remember, James is the practical apostle, and he's the kind of guy who tells you things that maybe are obvious. We all know people like that. You may be one yourself. But it's necessary. It's necessary because the truth is we don't always go to God first when we're in trouble, when we're, we're suffering from some hardship. Perhaps we do, but maybe not. And James is reminding, once again, those that he's writing to, that God is the source of so many things. He's said it throughout his epistle. He's pointed to God as the source of all we need. He's already said to them that God is the source of wisdom in chapter 1 and in chapter 3. He's the giver of all good gifts. He's the one who bestows grace. He's the lifter of our heads. He's the perfect judge, and he's the lawgiver. He's the sovereign Lord. He's the source of everything we need. James says, go to him first. The second part of this passage says, the second part of this verse says, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. We did that this morning. What a glorious time of praise this morning and worship. I'm going to ask Mike Whalen to come, and we're going to have a couple of testimonies in the course of this message, because as we were praising and worshiping cheerfully last week, and as the offertory was being sung, Mike had something of a vision that demonstrates how God inhabits our praise. Mike? I should stop moving this microphone. (laughs) Pull it out if you want. He surprised me. I thought he was going to bring me up at the end of the message. (laughs) The last three or four weeks, while the worship was taking place during the service, I had the impression that the Lord was standing right here in the middle aisle. Of course, I'm sitting over here, and he's kind of turned around looking at me like, I'm here. I'm here. He was dressed in a white robe and had like a blue sash. Looked just like you would expect. So after three or four weeks, I thought that was nice. And I didn't think a whole lot about it. Last week during the worship, same thing took place. But then the Lord added two more things to that. While the worship was taking place, I saw him up on the platform, and he was walking back and forth. And of course, this is in my mind's eye. And he's so enjoying the worship from this 
body because he's saying, these are the ones that I gave my life for. And he just so enjoys the worship. And the last thing, Susan Ray came up to sing, and that kind of moved me a little bit, the second one. But while she was singing, then I see the Lord again. Only this time, he's dancing all around her, all over the platform. He, he's just so joyous and so cheerful. Now, I wasn't thinking about anything else except saying, praise the Lord, and I'll go sit down. This morning, basically, the same thing happened. I saw him in the aisle. He reminded me, you've got something, you better say it. So I really don't want to do this. Then he is up on the platform. But when Shannon was singing, this time he's dancing and it's smooth and I don't know how to describe it. And last week, when that took place, I was ready to come up and grab Jim and say, I've got to say something because it excited me so much. But in any case, he reminded us, us again how much he loves us and that he's always here. And that no matter what we are in the middle of, he's always there. Amen. Amen. He inhabits the praise of his people, the scripture says. And where God inhabits the praise, things happen. God ministers, he's here. Even if Mike didn't have that vision, it doesn't change the fact. We need to remember he's here. He wants us to know it. So James says, if you're in trouble, pray. If you are happy, if you are cheerful, knowing what God has done for you and in you and through you and in the earth and in your church, praise him. Yes. Praise him. Verse 14 says, is any of you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven, verse 14 and 15. Now, this verse, or these verses, raise a number of questions. What or who is Jesus, or James talking about here? Is he talking about those who are physically sick or spiritually weak, as some would contend? Are the elders of the church the only ones who should anoint with oil? Is this a guarantee of healing whenever the elders pray? And if so, then why is it that some for whom the elders pray are not healed. This is one of those verses that have a variety of opinions among sincere and scholarly people who search it out and study it out. They believe, some do, that it is the spiritually weak or sick who are referred to here, claiming it fits better in the context of the whole letter because James is speaking 
obviously to many who are new believers who are weak in their faith and wants to strengthen them. The contention is that the Greek word doesn't necessarily refer to physical illness, which is, is true, or, or healing, does not, the healing that's mentioned here. The contention is that uh, or, or when this position is taken, it eliminates the need to explain why some are not healed. But with respect to the position that it may be referring to the spiritually weak, every translation of the Bible that I looked at does not use the word weak, it uses the word sick. Some believe it's saying that the elders are to administer oil in a medicinal way, which it has often been used for through the centuries and even today, the essential oils. But in preparation for this message, as I, even as I looked into these various viewpoints and can appreciate what is concluded, I find it difficult to vary from the belief and practice that we have here at Emmanuel, that it is referring to those who are physically sick, and that the elders are to be called upon in cases like that to pray for the sick, that they might be healed. I believe that even with the difficulties that it may present, because it doesn't always happen. But it does happen. So I'm going to call, is Sharon back there? Or did she slip out? Sharon, there she is. Sharon Harper to come and um, have her share a testimony. And while Sharon is, is uh, sharing her testimony, we're going to have someone else come in a, in a minute or so. Because we need to hear that God does respond to our prayers. Sharon? I'm here to testify today to three healings, but the first one is so real that I don't know how to explain why God has been so good to me, why he's done this, but I know one thing. He has touched my body. When doctors said I couldn't be, he did. The day was October 24th, 2016, I can remember this. And as I was walking down the steps, I lost complete control of my body. And I stopped, and I did not know what, and I heard God say, you're going to be all right. And I propelled into a wall. I broke my arm. I broke my nose. But there was such peace. And yes, it was months. Your arm needed to be repaired and all. But I think that he taught me something in this that I will never, ever forget. His presence was with me every day. The pain might have been there. But I've seen such a difference in people around me. My family, they, they just cannot explain. They said, it was just so real, Mom. And distance, the phone calls I'd get from my son and his family and praying in Washington. And this year has just been beautiful. But the second one that happened to me was, I, I'm sorry, was I was just 
how would you say it? I was just, everything seemed to be going good. And I was praising God. And I went for my mammogram. Now, I had found a small lump. And I thought, okay, we're going to work with it. Lord, what are you doing? And he kept saying to me, the scripture he'd been giving me was Isaiah 26, 3. And he said, if you stand in this word, you're not going to fail. And, what he, and it says, I will keep him in perfect peace. Say I was perfect every day? No. No, I'm not perfect. I'm a woman who's raised five children. Thank God everyone I'm serving. And I have 15 grandchildren. Is that bragging? No. To me, that's my blessings. And I just thank God for that. But here, so here, here we go with another battle. Lord, this is in your hands. So I go and they say everything. But the thing that really God says to me before I can get it out of my mouth, after the, they told me, oh, this is a mass and you're in trouble and everything. And God says to tell him, no, this is not a mass. I stood for the Lord and all. And we didn't know exactly till the time till the operation and everything. This was never seen before. God, I take you. I'm sorry. A vicious tumor that would have really done me bad and contained it in a pocket of fluid. I have, I have documented proof. When people say to me, why do you love the Lord? Why? Why do I love the Lord? Why do I love him? Because at nine years old, he accepted a little girl and he started using me and my family. He used my mother to be there for me. He's been a blessing to me. So I get through this and I'm doing fine. <laughs> and in 2018, God gives me another chance, maybe for a reason. There's are testimonies. I'm, I'm having problems, and they keep saying, the doctors keep saying, we can't get your blood pressure down. Now remember, this whole thing, when I stopped, we think this happened. They tell me in July that I need a pacemaker. Oh, a pacemaker? This is unheard of. I'm a caregiver. I can get an old pacemaker. This is for old folks. Sorry. I'm sorry. This is what I said. This is exactly what I said. And here's the thing. God says to me, I'm going to prove to you. So every person that I can see, I don't care if they're in doctor's offices or where, God says, testify. I'm testifying. I'm testifying. My children testifying. Anyone will listen. I know the saints that are before me have taught me things. I'm not here because I'm bold. I'm here because, because of him. So I am doing well, and he's got a reason for me. And I just praise God. I gave, my kids gave me a 75th birthday surprise. All my children did meet together. I just want to say thank God. Yes. And I want to be a blessing to anybody I can. Amen. Thank you. Bless you. One more testimony all the way from the nursery. Aiden Curran, come bless us with your testimony, brother. And Aiden apparently shared this. I think my wife and I were not in the uh, service that day with, with, with the kids, but shared when he got back from camp. But just in case you didn't hear it or maybe it just slipped by. Go ahead, brother. So hi, I'm Aiden. So um, 
I feel a little nervous coming up here, but I know I shouldn't be, because who am I to be ashamed? <laughs> um, so I guess I'll start off at the beginning. So when I was born, I was born with a lot of food allergies, like so many where you would say what I could eat as opposed to what I couldn't. Um, and so as I grew up, some went away and then some got worse. So, you know, by the time I was 16, well, I am 16, but my 16th birthday around there, I had severe nut allergies, egg allergies, wheat allergies, dairy, and there were a few other small ones. So I was struggling with that, you know, it's tough to find foods without all those things, because you think of like any old snack, like even like a goldfish is, is wheat and milk, and you know, so it's, it's tough to find things that are available, especially in public, because um, you know, at home you can get you know, gluten-free flour and things to make other things. Um, but in public it's very difficult because those aren't readily available. So, I was going to camp this year. You, you all saw the uh, little kids come up here from their testimonies and all of that. So, I was going to camp and I was, you know, naturally kind of worried because obviously they're not going to have things that I need. So, you know, I was, I was kind of stressing out a little bit. Not too much but enough that it had me worried. Um, so I was going with an open mind. I got there and I, I remember sitting in the like orientation space. It was the evening chapel, but it was, we were just having our first time as everybody together and they were explaining the, you know, the ground rules. And so they dismissed us from there. And I just remember I was praying to God and I said, God, I need you right now. I don't know what's going to be available, and I don't know if I'm going to be okay or safe. I put it in your hands, and, say, and I heard God. This is the first time I heard the audible voice of God in my head at that time. And I was like, wow. He said, I got this. Three words. Three words. Audible voice. And I was just blown away, because it's just, wow. 16 years of finding things that I could and couldn't have, things fluctuating, and you find out that you can't have it a few weeks later, and it's like, it's over. And so, at first, I was, I was thinking, wow, God, I never doubted him for a second after he said, I got this. Never doubted him for a second. Because if I knew I did, then I'd have 100% doubt in a minute. So I never doubted. And throughout every meal, I had three helpings, you know, like baked ziti, eggs, wheat, milk, you name it. It's all in there, you know. Hallelujah. And so that was over a month ago and I'm still going strong. God is pulling me through and uh, so that's my miracle.
Thank you, brother. Hallelujah. He's here. He's among us. He's walking in the aisles. He's up there with the worship team. He's inhabiting our praises. He's ministering to our people. He's healing. He's saving. He's delivering. He's ministering to all the needs. Reach out to him in faith. Reach out to him. I want to bring this to a close quickly. As we read through this passage, as I said, it presents questions. There, there are a lot of new, little nuances in the Greek pass, in this passage, as there are with many scripture passages. That's why there are different conclusions reached about it. I'm not a scholar. I like to say tongue-in-cheek. I know a little Greek. He runs a restaurant in Wilmington. <laughs> You've heard me say that before. I won't use it anymore, I promise. I like to study out every verse that I'm <clears throat> preaching from, every passage I'm preaching from. But here's the thing. <clears throat> I, I, to this simple-minded man, sometimes I think we can parse a verse so much that we fail to see what they, it may plainly say. And we, or we don't want to accept what it may plainly say because it might wreck our theology. Or it leaves us with unanswered questions. Here the question may arise, why isn't everyone healed that the elders prayed for? You want to know what I think? I don't know. I don't know. And I think if we're genuine and not disingenuous, that's going to be our answer. But we know he does it. And so we keep praying for those who are sick and hoping and praying and believing that God is going to heal them like he did Aiden, like he did Sharon, like he's done others of you in this congregation, I know. So we keep pressing in and pressing on. I don't need to figure out everything. We have a God who is infinitely bigger than any one of us beyond our, what we can ask or think. And all we have to do is continue to plumb the depths of his word, yes, but leave the things we don't understand in his sovereign hands. I don't have a definitive answer to all the questions. But as I said, I, as I know, we can put a passage under a microscope and miss the big picture. And the big picture of what it's saying in this passage is pretty obvious to me. So let's do what the apostle clearly says and without any ambiguity says to do. Praise him for the miracles that he does. Praise him for his presence. Thank him. Pray for him in the times of need. Expect when we pray that God will heal and leave the rest to him. It's all about prayer. Seven times in this passage he speaks about praying. We probably have less of a problem with calling the elders of the church to pray than we do with what it says following this. And that is confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another. Now, this is something that should be done with discretion, obviously. I don't believe James is calling for a public confession of sin to a congregation as a rule. I think sort of the thing that Matthew 18, 15 says, where Jesus said, if someone offends you, go to them in private. It's sort of the same principle here. So we're not calling for public confession, although I think there are times when there is an egregious sin committed by someone that it is necessary for them to come before the congregation and confess it. 
but that's, a, not the, that's the exception and not the rule. But we have a hard time doing this. And why do we have a hard time doing it? I think that at least a couple of things come to mind. We have a hard time, difficult time, confessing our sins to one another because the enemy wants us to keep those things to ourselves. He lies to us and says it's better kept in the darkness when in fact that is a lie. The truth is, if you bring it out to the light, it can be dissipated. God will take care of it. He wants us to keep it secret. He wants us to think we're the only ones who suffer from this sin or that sin or this failure or that failure, and it's not true. He wants to diminish our effectiveness as believers. Another reason is that we, need, we may have a lack of depth of relationship with one another so that we don't feel comfortable speaking about what are the deepest problems and struggles that we have. And that's something that we need. That's something we need to work on. It's one of the things that the elders months ago said was part of the vision for this congregation to develop deep abiding relationships. And when we come into that place in small groups, in small gatherings, where we feel we are in the midst of people we can trust, then we can feel free to confess and know that we're not going to be judged because they love us. James says, when we do this effectively, we'll be healed. It may refer to physical healing. It may refer to emotional healing or spiritual healing or all three. James' fellow apostle John writes in the first epistle that he wrote that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness by the blood of Jesus. We are righteous only because of what Jesus has done. We have no righteousness of our own. Our righteousness in the Old Testament, he says, is like filthy rags. But because of the blood of Jesus, we can walk in cleanliness and righteousness before him. Having confessed to one another and to God puts us in a position from which we can pray, as verse 16 says, with power. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. And the last part of this verse, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The bigger picture here in these final words of James' letter is not about oil or what kind to use or how to use it or who can use it or whether someone calls the elders is is sick in body or spirit or whether or not everyone who is prayed for is healed or raised up. The bigger picture is doing what we should to bring us to a place where we can pray effectively and powerfully. Psalm 66, verses 16 through 18, David says this, Psalm 66, 16 through 18. Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The NIV says, the New Living Translation, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. 
The ESV says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The the New American Standard says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And the King James says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You get the idea. You get the idea. The righteousness of God from Christ puts us in a position of being righteous and enables us to lift prayers unto him as David said he did and, he, and know that God hears us. Praying effectively and fervently accomplishes God's will. Finally, in the last two minutes, I promise, James points to Elijah. Elijah, who along with Moses was the most revered among the prophets of Israel by the people of Israel. It was Moses and Elijah who appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. But James points out that though he was who he was, Elijah, he was also just a man like us. He had the same nature. He, he suffered from failures. He fled from Jezebel when she threatened his life. He was a man just like us. But God used him in awesome and powerful ways. Elijah's prayer, James recounts, stopped the rain from falling on Israel as judgment over Israel and their wicked king Ahab. And then he prayed again at the appointed time, and the rains came. There will always be unmet expectations. There will be times when we wonder why something did or did not happen, but we ought not to focus on those things. Instead, focus on those times that God's hand has moved mightily in your life, in others' lives. The testimonies that we heard this morning are evidence. The testimonies that we heard this morning should encourage us He's here. He loves us. He wants to minister to us. He wants to heal and restore. He wants to take this fellowship to new places, perhaps where we've never been. I want us to just stand together now. Derek, you can go to the piano. And just uh, begin to play that um, awesome worship song. Worthy is the Lamb. As we close today, maybe some of you, I know, I don't have to say maybe, I know you have needs. I know perhaps that some of you are burdened. Come, the elders are here. Others are here to pray for you. Others are here to pray. To lift your concerns, to lift your need, to lift your sickness, to lift your affliction. 
before the Lord. Don't be bashful. Maybe some one of you has been burdened with some sin that you want to confess. Maybe this is the day to do it. The people who will be standing up here, I can assure you, are trustworthy. Let's just sing, and as we sing, please come, elders, other prayer warriors, intercessors, come forward, please, and be prepared to to pray with those who may come.